What about when in the faithful pursuit of ministry advancement for Christ, the plan gets hit? Like we talked last Sunday, what about when circumstances uh, uh, take a hit? When you're pressing ahead for Christ and it's like, bam, all of a sudden just bites in the way of, takes a hold of what's taking place. And it's like, what's up with this? We talked about that last week out of Philippians chapter 1 with Paul. Here's another one. What about when people bite? What about when you're moving ahead, progressing ahead in ministry, and all of a sudden it's just like, bam! I'd like for us to uh, watch this video. My name's Scott Faulkner. I'm 52 years old. And I'm the past president of Croton Concerned Citizens. It was organized specifically to oppose Camp Harvest in Nuego, Michigan. I thought, well, this is interesting. We've got some folks coming up from Illinois, don't know anything about our culture. They're buying our biggest piece of land. It's a church. This is my backyard. I don't want my backyard to be disrupted. My backyard is this camp. I look across from my, literally my backyard, and I see the camp. And so I had a vested interest in, at the time, protecting what I believed was mine and opposing things that were going to change what was mine. Mine, 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 mine. God was not present in my life. Point by point, this document was intended to outline our issues with respect to the the plan uh, for the camp and to clearly uh, illustrate to our township leadership that we had no interest in the camp. However, we did have two or three notable folks that stood up and said, no, this is a Christian camp. These are good people. They're going to bring people to Jesus. So I'm rolling my eyes at the time thinking, what does that mean? I've heard it my whole life. I don't get it. And so I I thought that was a subject uh, best kept uh, to fanatics, you know, born-again Christians, I thought, what does that mean? I mean, I didn't want to know what that meant. When I really remember this coming at me full force was one Sunday morning, I was getting ready to preach at Harvest. One of our elders, who's now our elder board chairman, was standing there with this newspaper article in his hand, and he was like, what is this? And I found out that these concerned citizens for Croton, this 3C group, had actually worked through some media representation and inserted some very inflammatory uh, material in the Daily Herald as if, hey, Harvest, do you know what your leaders are doing? It was painful. For readers who have not had the good fortune to travel to Croton Township, we can only say that once you have visited, you might understand more clearly our motives for opposing not only this project, but the unseemly tactics be employed by HBC against the people of Croton Township. I was trying to divide the church. You know, it's amazing how many times Harvest has faced a real obstacle that in the end was cleared by a direct, loving, personal contact. I'll never forget the phone call. Scott, this is James McDonald calling. He said, I just have a simple question for you. He said, are you opposed to any camp of any size, no matter what, on that property? And I paused for a minute and I said, no. But I'd never been asked that question. And he said, well, if we were able to sit down and come up with something much smaller, much more manageable, do you think that's something you could sell to your group? And so we did exactly that. I mean, when the 3C was at its height, it looked very likely like there's going to be no camp. 
but God was working. And slowly God turned it all around. There was a, uh, a great Christian friend of mine that I'd known for years, and I got a phone call from him. He says, I need to meet with you. And I walked in, and he, he hands me a Bible. And it had sticky notes sticking out the side of it in several places. So I read the first one, kind of wrote, not rolling my eyes internally, didn't want to make Bob mad. And he said, what do you think? I said, it was fine. Read the next one. Flip it over. And I don't off the hand recall which scriptures they were, but it was all over the Bible. Uh, about number four in, I started having a strange sensation. My number seven, I said, I can't wait anymore. And I hit the deck. I got as low as I could get, as fast as I could get. The only place for me. God said three words to me. You are mine. And I was clean. That instant, I knew exactly what had happened to me. I was at the foot of Jesus. I could see him. Every molecule in my body was changed that instant. I had no idea it was coming. I can't own these words anymore. I'm saved. We prayed for the zoning to be approved. We prayed for the camp to happen. We prayed for the resistance to fall away. We prayed for a good relationship with the community going forward. But God does beyond what we ask or think. I don't honestly remember praying for Scott Faulkner, the leader of it all, to come to know Christ. We love the camp as a neighbor. Uh, none of the things that we had feared have come to pass. We're proud to have the camp in our community now. And now he's my brother in Christ. We love one another. God is so much bigger than all these things that for so long separated us. Really, really the winner in all of this is the grace and mercy of God. Maybe you could tell all of us when it was that you came to know Christ as your Savior. Just this last summer at Camp Harvest. At Camp Harvest. Camp Harvest. Camp. Harvest Summer Camp. Camp Harvest. Camp Harvest. Camp Harvest. Camp. Camp Harvest. The Harvest Camp. Camp Harvest this summer. When I went to Camp Harvest, um, it's the first time I accepted Christ in my life, and uh, I was doing well. Where was going... that at again? Where? 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 <laughs> Camp Harvest. Camp Harvest. <laughs> You know, one of the things that didn't make the video uh, in all the recording they did was this uh, man from Croton, Scott Faulkner, uh, he said, um, you know, can the church ever forgive me? Can the church ever forgive me for what he did? So I invited him to come in person and get the answer to that himself. Come on up here, Scott. Consider that the first 25 plus minutes of the sermon. Um, that preaches. That preaches. When people bite in the doing of ministry, it hurts. But let me bring it to this angle. There, there's a sense to where what was taking place with Scott makes sense. 
theologically. It's a bit palatable theologically because Scott at the time was without Christ. Uh, The gospel is foolishness to the world. Uh, And yet, look at how God used the circumstances in Scott's life to do a work that Harvest never had any idea would be a part of pursuing a camp. Hey, listen, God sees all things, and you and I don't. But let's take it to this place. What about when it's actually a believer in Christ that bites in the doing of ministry? That's hard to palate. That's hard to eat. That's hard to take. Family cannibalism. Eating our own. How do you handle that? Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We just have a few verses we're going to cover here in the next, hopefully here, 20 minutes. Maybe even 15. So Chris, get ready for on the button. I'm going to move along a little bit more, okay? Philippians chapter 1. I have five words for us today. Here they are. Ministry is about God's thing. Say it with me. Ministry is about God's thing. One more time. Ministry is about God's Philippians chapter 1. Paul is writing first 11 verses as this beautiful introduction that he gives here about one. Let's pick up verse 12. Our text for today is 5 through 8, 15 through 18. Let's just pick up in verse 12. Uh, this is what from last Sunday. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to Paul, two years in prison in Caesarea, two years in prison in Rome, has really served to advance the gospel. No way. Get out of here. Yeah, way. In fact, here's a couple ways how. So that in it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The gospel is getting out to the unredeemed, to the rest. Secondly, as we covered last week, and most of the brothers, by the way, how many, how many, most of the brothers is most all. No. Okay. Thank you. No, most is not all. Is it most is most. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Some who some. let's see most. And then some, uh, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Uh, let's, let's take a look at two groups of people that the apostle Paul notes here. There's the mosts and the sums. Uh, Let's take a look here first at the most, just for a a minute. Let me just summarize some things. From verse 14, we find that, by the way, what would you say is a percentage of most? If you were to make a guess, what, how much is most percentage-wise? Just shoot some answers. Okay, good. Some of you are half-empty people. 
Some of you are half full people. I'm going to go with 95% are the most. Okay, let's go. 95% are the most and because I'm a positive guy. Okay, <laughs> here we go. The most. Here's some things about the most. Number one, the redeemed people in Christ. Verse 14. We're talking about believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Secondly, they're growing in Christ. We talked about this last Sunday. Verse 14. They're maturing in Christ. Third, they're proclaiming Christ. And as we talked about last Sunday, here's some things that is telling us this text about these folks. They're ministering Christ with increased confidence. That's cool. They're also ministering Christ with increased boldness. All that comes out of verse 14. Then verse 15, they're ministering Christ from goodwill. Goodwill. Uh, That's referring to the motive behind their ministry. It's desiring what's best. I know it's about whose thing? That's goodwill. It's a being about God's thing. They're they're ministering Christ from goodwill. They're ministering Christ out of love. This is really context. Verse 16 is talking about a love for Paul, especially here. It's ministering Christ out of knowing. Out of knowing that Paul was put here for the defense of the gospel. The most are picking up the ministry slack as a result of their wounded leader comrade. And God's doing a work in them as well. Very, very cool. Hey, by the way, just real quick, this week, a slight rabbit trail. This week, you see the words in there? It says, Paul says, I am put here. Uh, Small Greek lesson. That's called a present passive. Present means it's now, it's ongoing. It's not just two years ago or four years ago, but I'm presently, and it's a passive. That means that the action is being done to him. He is right now in prison, put there by someone else. Who might that be? God. Now, the Romans, the Jewish people who are pushing back, yeah, but I think when you follow the context and do some study on your own this week, that verb has huge implications. God put him there. It was an appointed thing by God for Paul to be in Rome. So much for the TV health, wealth, and prosperity gospel baloney. Okay, done with that issue. On to the next. We rejoice what's going on with the most. But I want to point this out. The focus of the text is on the sums. Okay, so let's take the next minutes here and focus on some sums and grab it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. By the way, did you notice the percentage? There's a group of people. Here's one. Okay, it's not. Don't get this blown out of proportion. There's just some. Do you realize? I have no idea how they figured this, but do you realize the average pastor moves every two to three years? Nope, not in my heart to want to do that. Every two to three years. And do you realize? I don't know how they figure this out, but they say the average pastor leaves because of eight people. Okay, ponder that. Here we're talking some, some, all right? The problem with the some is not their theology, it's their motives. Understand, these are redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ as I'm understanding the text. You may question about really where they are at with Christ and their, but their motives. But the way Paul is talking about that, we clearly get that idea. The problem with these brothers and sisters in Christ or these brothers in Christ is not what they were proclaiming. They were proclaiming the gospel, The problem was with why they were proclaiming. They weren't proclaiming a faulty message. They were proclaiming with a faulty motive. 
is what's happening. Let me give four faulty motives out of the text here that help us with these sums. Number one, ministering Christ from out of envy, verse 15. Envy, desiring to deprive someone of what is rightfully theirs. It's to wish another not to have what they have, or this is oftentimes more the reality, just to have it to a lesser degree. Uh, I'm, I don't want to take you out of ministry or I, I don't want to take over your small group or I don't want to wipe out what you're doing there. I just don't want it to be that big. Uh, that kind of a thing. Romans 129, the text talks about God's wrath being revealed against a list of things. Here's some of the list. Murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, inventors of evil, foolish people, heartless people, ruthless people. Yeah. And envy as well. God's pretty serious about this thing. He doesn't like it. What did they envy? Here's what I actually love. The text doesn't tell us. I think that makes it even more applicable for us today. The text doesn't tell us. Was it the fact that he was an apostle? Was it the fact that of his giftedness, of his blessings, of his intellect, of his effectiveness, that people were loving him more than them? I have no idea. But we do know this. They were ministering Christ out of envy. Secondly, they're ministering Christ out of rivalry. Guys, we so get it. This is the competition deal. Okay, this is the contentive, uh, contention competition thing. Why is he an apostle? Why does he have a bigger following than me? He's not from here. I've been here longer, and yet people are giving him attention. I mean, I've put my time in. I mean, this is about seniority. Uh, what school has he been trained at? Uh, I question that. He must think he's a rock star. Frankly, and this could be true. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better administrator. I'm a better. I don't know what it was, but we know this. They were ministering Christ out of envy and verse 15 and 17. Interesting. Paul repeats it twice. They're ministering out of rivalry. Third, they're ministering out of not sincerely. Ministering Christ, not sincerely. Can you imagine that? It's like this. Listen, it is all about Christ. God in the flesh came on the earth, lived life, did for you what we could not do for yourself, died on the cross for our sin, paid the price, arose again. He's made salvation available uh, through his gift of payment. Receive Christ, live for him. It's all about him. It's all about him. And in my head, I'm like, it's all about me. It's all. Ministering Christ not sincerely. How sad. And look at this fourth one. This is crazy. Ministering Christ to afflict. Ministering Christ, some versions say, translations say to distress him. But I think it's really that to afflict carries the real meaning. I mean, they're taking steps to afflict him. If this is about looking out for himself, taking another down so you could get to the top. Unjustly criticizing, accusing, aggravating, bringing down. I mean, here, friends, we got this envy, this rivalry, this insincerity, and, and the doing of ministry to effect. Listen to this. All being done by followers of Christ, by some, a few, who are in ministry for Christ, being done to their brothers in Christ. That is so ridiculous. That is so sad, so foolish. Who could be the moron that would do that? Okay. Before you think I'm really serious with that, let's think theologically. Jeremiah 17, 9. 
The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Let's think Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I want to do what's right, but it's like I'm in this war. It's like I can't. Another passage, Matthew 7. Before you go and get the speck in someone else's eye, how about taking care of the beam, the giant timber that's in your own eye? Friends, let's do that just for a moment here. Let's do that. Before we get high and mighty and all thinking that self-righteous and I would never do that, let's just take a moment and I want to ask this. Has there been a time in your past in ministry where you've been a critical ministry person? Where you've been an envying brother or sister in Christ of another brother, sister or Christ? where there's been competition there, where there's been insincerity there. I just want to ask, before we look at this and go, what a bunch of creeps, we ask ourselves the question, has that been us in the past? Has that been you in the past? If so, I just seriously, I want to call you to repent. I love you that much. I also want to take that to this level. Has that been you in the recent? Don't go there. We all have the potential. In fact, I've got top 10 ways. Okay, let's take a look at what this could look like. Top 10, here we go quickly. Number one, the numbers game. Big ministry numbers equals better ministry. My church has more than your church. My small group has more than your small group. My kid's class has more than your kid's class. I don't know if that, uh, you know, kind of a thing. It's the big equals popular, popular equals success. Hey, just go spend some time reading Mark chapter 4, the end, the fourth fruit out of it, the fourth fruit at the very end. Jesus says it's about the person who produces for Christ. He says 30, 60, 100 fold. The point isn't, listen, I love the people who produce 100 fold only. The point is produce. The point is, is God has given some the ability to produce a whole, prove, uh, to produce fruit a whole bunch, a whole truckload full. But that's not the norm. The point is, is produce. For some, it's 30-fold. Go, go. The point is that let's measure. The point is, is produce. And we get into the numbers game. Oh, by the way, real quick here. This can be turned around the other way. Big ministry is bad ministry. Big numbers is bad numbers. Uh, Big ministry is impersonal. Big ministries with arrogant pastors. Big ministries with shallowness. In fact, small church is better church. Small church is biblical church because they had home churches back in the New Testament. By the way, read Acts. Take a look at the number counting going on by God in Acts. 3,000 were coming to Christ. 5,000 were coming to Christ. We can take this both ways. Big is awesome. Big is bad. Come on. The numbers game. We know it, don't we? I'm going to tell you, I do. It can be a tendency. The numbers game. Secondly, pencil issues, theology issues, or ministry structure. Uh, I'm not mad about this stuff. I'm just putting some stuff on the table. Every one of us has some of these, so, so don't leave all ticked off here. Here we go. Ready? Hang in with me. We all know that Jesus sang 17th century AD hymns from a hymnal in his church growing up. And if it was good for Jesus, it's good for us, Right? Or here's another one. We know that in Jesus' church, they had Sunday school, then they had church, then they had Sunday night, then they had Wednesday, and for sure they had Awana. 
Listen, nothing's wrong with those things. But we take those pencil things and we turn them in, thus saith the Lord things. I am a pre-trib guy. You're a post-trib guy. Let's fight. Um, I read the KJV. You read the NIV. Let's fight. Pencil issues third. Bite with jealousy. I wish I could have a ministry like that. It's not fair that they get blank and I don't. We don't. It's not fair that Harvest Orlando just got a 60,000 square foot brand new building and we don't. Praise God for that. Okay? For both at this point of God's work. Why is he so gifted? Why is she so gifted in that area? It's not fair. I've always wanted to sing up front. I've always wanted to do that. A fourth, the bite with du- ministry duplication. Uh, we need our own food clothing pantry. Uh, we're not going to partner with anyone else in that because we've got to have our name on it because that's our thing. We've got to have our own sports league. Uh, uh, why partner with the Red Cross or the YMCA in trying to help love in our community when, when like, we need to do it ourselves? And they may not all be Christians. Am I pushing buttons? Uh, listen, Kingsway Care Center, I can get in on that, man. I can get on loving this community with the love of Christ, working with the Red Cross, working with the Y. Why do we have to do everything our own deal? It becomes things at times where it's just like, what's the deal with that fifth? Notice me, ministry. It's all about me. I must be heard. I must be acknowledged. I must be thanked. You all need to know what I know in small group or in something else. Valid ministry people are ministry people that acknowledge me. Six, they bite with my hobby horse ministry. You see, I'm super passionate about ministry to blank, and this church and everyone else in this church needs to be passionate about blank because I'm passionate about that. And in fact, it gets to the point oftentimes where I'm so passionate about that, if you're not as passionate about that to the level that I think you should be passionate about it, you know what? This church doesn't love Jesus. I've seen it happen. I love the poor. I love the children. I love music, politics, mops, programs, evangelism, businessmen, women, sports, counseling, seniors, Russia, whatever it might be. And so that needs to be your thing. We got to be careful with that. My hobby horse ministry. Here's the seventh, my way ministry. I just wouldn't do it that way. I'll just leave it at that. I just wouldn't do it that way. Cool. Number eight. My giftedness ministry. I have the spiritual gift of blank. Therefore, how can I have a channeled place to be able to do that gift in blank? I just want to tell you, the last 20 to 30 years, I think we here in America have done a poor job on teaching spiritual gift reality. I can't get into it, but it's just this, real quick, it's just this. Find your spiritual gift and then serve there. Is that the way the Bible teaches it? How about this? God has called all of the people to come together, to serve him together as one, knowing this. You've been gifted by God to bring something to the table. We've been putting the cart before the horse. The horse is his church and ministry for it. The cart is the fact of knowing that God has gifted everyone uniquely to be able to be an added, very important part, value of the whole process of ministry. We are so strip mall Christianity. And number nine, bite with my past ministry experiences, with my past church. 
I, I love my past church and they did it this way and I really like that. I had a great experience there. My past church felt this way and I miss that and I need that and expect that. Well, let me note this. Praise God for that past church experience. Thank the Lord for that. Because I have met a number of people who never have had a church where they can go, I loved that. Instead, it's going, I loved that. But I am diff- somewhere different. It is somewhere different. And that's Okay. Be careful with it. It's just where it can... Number 10, you fill in the blank. I could come up with nine. (laughs) 10 ways to stifle oneness. All right? Hey, uh, I'm not mad about this. I'm just bringing some behind-the-curtain reality to it. Be careful, friends. Be careful with the sums. Well, got to wrap it. How did Paul deal with this situation? Verse 18. Well, let's just read it. What then? Paul's thinking the same thing. (laughs) What are you supposed to do then? When you got some sums biting, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We don't know what was being done to Paul, but we do know this. From Paul's perspective, Christ is being proclaimed. Rejoice in that. That's awesome. But Doug, this situation isn't fair. It's not right that arrows are being thrown at him and he's being bit by even believers in Christ. It's not fair. I understand. But listen, God will take care of it all. God will take care of the arrows. God will take care of the situation. Remember this. Ministry isn't about my thing. Ministry is about God's thing. And here Paul is teaching about right kind of ministry. Right kind of ministry. Ministry not just having the right message, uh, the right doctrine, but right ministry is about the right message with the right motives. And he's showing that here and telling about that reality. He's teaching. Also, Paul is living out right thinking. He's living life from the big picture. It's about the gospel. And you can shoot arrows, you can bite me, you can do all these kinds of things. But Paul is like, I'm about the gospel, and it hurts. I don't like it. I would much rather be on the beach. But the gospel is being proclaimed. In that, I can rejoice. Is this not an incredible challenge for you and I? Listen to me here. If your joy is founded upon your circumstances, you're in trouble. If your joy is founded upon what people do around and to you, you're in trouble. And we all struggle with it. Every one of us. But here's the thing. When your God-given joy is founded upon Christ and the gospel, not just by word, but for real, even in the herd of the pain of others biting, no matter what someone does, you cannot steal my God-given joy. Do we think that way? Man, this is hard, friends. This is hard. 
If your joy is founded upon Christ, and that's the real deal, no one can steal that from you. Let me read this quote from Alexander McLaren from 1826, 1910, an older guy. Listen, Paul brushes aside all that was antagonistic to him personally in the recognition that one thing needful was spoken, even from unworthy motives and with a malicious purpose. Not a cold indifference, but a fiery enthusiasm for one thing that is needful. The one thing that sinful mankind needs to hear is the great message that Christ has lived and died for them and therefore puts all else on side and cares nothing for, I love this, jangling notes that may come in if only above them. The music of his name, Jesus Christ, would sound out clear and full. This is hard stuff. This is founded upon the gospel living. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, let's pray. I would just ask with your heads bowed here. This ministry team comes up. I just want to remind us, ministry is about God's thing. I just want to ask, ask yourself here as we wrap our time up here, have you been making it about your thing? This is such a tendency in all of us. I would just ask this, Harvest Indy West. Can we commit to being... in? not being a some church but instead to be a most church I am so thankful to God as a pastor that the most reality is here and I'm not bringing this passage up to confront an issue it's just in the flow of the text bringing it up to confront our very hearts all of us Paul is teaching and helping I want to say this. Maybe you've been ministry bit. And it hurts. And maybe you're still hurting. But listen to me. Don't allow it to steal your joy in Christ. Because of Christ. Can I just say... Give it up. It hurts. You don't forget the pain. But don't forget the cross. Lord, may the sum of Philippians 1 call us to live like the most of Philippians 1. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.